them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. And to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have in abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and their ears can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see. And your ears, for they hear. Truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people have longed to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Let's pray. Father, we want to be those tonight who have eyes to see and ears to hear. So would you give us, by your Holy Spirit, hearts and minds that are ready to receive your word so that we would have lives that show your fruit for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A few months ago, I was at Subway right over here and was meeting with someone and we were talking. And as we talked... I began to hear a third voice. And it wasn't the kind of voice that you hear when someone's sitting at a table beside you or at a table behind you. It was in our conversation. I I could hear this voice very clearly, and I knew that it was close. And I started to get worried uh, about my mental sanity. (laughs) And we kept talking, and and I kept hearing this voice. And finally I said, we've got to stop. I've got to figure out where this voice is coming from. And so I was quiet for a minute and figured out the voice was coming from my pocket. Um, And so my phone, I had been listening uh, to the radio on it um, and had been listening to like a news show or something. And when I got up to leave and go to Subway, I didn't turn it off. And so it kept talking. Our lives are noisy, aren't they? If I had connections, I'd make the train go across right at this very moment (laughs) to prove my point. There's a lot of noise. 
around us, isn't there? And I don't just mean the sound waves that come at us from traffic and hail and and thunder and lightning and media and all these other things. I mean messages, uh, demands, advice, ideologies, narratives of who you should be. So many voices intrude into our lives. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 13, as I said, speaks in parables. He tells stories, uses images to teach. And one of the reasons he does this is to turn up his voice in a noisy world. Jesus, in this chapter, is working on our hearing. So we have a repetition of that phrase that we heard, and it's all through this chapter, and it continues through the rest of the gospel. He who has ears, let him hear. From the perspective of Jesus, from the perspective of Matthew, from the perspective of Scripture, listening is essential to the life that God wants for us. We must learn to hear Jesus' voice. But how does that happen? How, in our lives, with all of these other voices intruding, how do we listen to the voice of Jesus? Well, I want to look at His communication here uh, in this text that we've read. And, and see two sides of it. I want to look at Jesus' message and Jesus' rhetoric. So, what Jesus says and how Jesus says it. Okay. So, first of all, what He says. In verse 19, uh, He explains that in this parable that He's told, uh, the seed is the word of the kingdom. Right? And that's Jesus' message. Jesus' message is this word of the kingdom. It's the the seed in this little story that Jesus tells here. But what does that mean? Well, remember in Matthew what we're talking about when we talk about kingdom. And go especially back to chapter 6 in the prayer that Jesus gives us. So he teaches us to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then what does he teach us to ask for? He tells us to ask for the kingdom, right? And what does that mean? What does he tell us to ask for after asking for the kingdom? He says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what the kingdom is. The kingdom is what God wants happening on earth. And Jesus' word the word of the kingdom, Jesus' message, is that that happens through Him. That God's will coming from heaven to earth happens in and through Jesus. So, basic story of the Bible. We're made in God's image. And to be made in God's image, it means to be made as a representative of God. It is to be made to take what he wants and do it on earth. And he tells Adam and Eve, you're my images, now fill the earth. And he is saying, go cause to happen what I want for my creation. 
Now, sin ruins that, doesn't it? But God begins to work, and especially in the history of of His people Israel, the descendants of Abraham, to restore humanity as images of God, as those who do what God wants on earth. And He works gradually through their history. And, And throughout this history, one of the images of that restoration of humanity being restored as images of God, one of the images of that happening in God's people and in the earth is fruit. It's a harvest. So Jesus quotes from Isaiah 6 in this passage. And at the end of Isaiah 6, Isaiah talks about how God's people have been judged by God because of their sin. And and it's like a forest fire that has burnt everything down and all there is left of God's people is a stump. A dead stump. But Isaiah says that's not the end of the story. He says then in chapter 11 that out of that stump will come new growth. That a shoot will come out of the burnt stubble and stump of God's people. And that that new growth will lead to the harvest that God's people have longed for for so many years. And Jesus says, that's me. That new growth is me. That shoot, and Isaiah calls it a shoot of Jesse, so connected to David. That shoot, that new growth, that renewal of God's people, that restoration of humanity in the image of God, that happens with me. And it is my message, the word of the kingdom, that brings this great harvest, this great fruit, a community of people who live the will of God out in God's creation. A group of people who live out of God's design for their relationships, for their work, for their family, uh, for their school for their fun. A group of people who demonstrate God's goodness and the power and greatness of His reign. That happens by the message of Jesus, the Word of the Kingdom. And that is why words should matter here at Centerpoint. That is why Scripture should be central to our life together And our lives as individuals as well. That is why we take time right now to read and teach the Bible. Because that is the way that God communicates His kingdom, the word of His kingdom to us. Because the center of Scripture is this message about Jesus. The message that Jesus came to restore the images of God to be what God intended them to be. Because in Scripture we encounter the message that has the power to take what God wants and produce it in our lives. Kevin Van Hooser is a great name. I love that name. Kevin Van Hooser, he's a theologian 
and uh, wrote a book called The Drama of Doctrine. Very impressive title. But his description of how the Bible should function in our life is great. He uses the image of a theater. And he says, the church Christians are a company of actors through through whom the drama of God's grace and redemption is to be played out in the world. And the Bible functions as a script. The Bible is what teaches and trains us to live out God's purposes in the world. In the Bible, we don't just come to content. We come to be changed, to be made something different. So that what we're doing now is not just a hobby. We're not just a group of people who kind of find the Bible interesting and so we get together uh, a time or two a week to talk about it. What we are doing now, and we do from week to week, is expose ourselves to the transformative message of Jesus. What we do from week to week is to bring ourselves into contact with a message that can fundamentally change us. To bring ourselves into contact not just with information, but transformation. This is what Jesus wants His message to do in us. Do you come with that expectation? Do you come to Scripture on your own, in a smaller community of believers, in worship on a weekly basis? Do you come with the expectation that you will encounter words that are more than mere ideas? Do you come expecting to be changed, to be transformed? If you don't, then you'll never hear Jesus above the noise. Now, how does that change happen? How does the message of Jesus, the word of the kingdom, how does it transform us? How does it change us? Is it magic? Where we come in vague vicinity of the words in this book and somehow we are magically morphed into better people? Uh, is, it, is it academic? Where if we can just fill our minds with enough facts about the Bible that it will eventually be so heavy that it will fall into our lives and will look different? How does the change happen? Well, I think we see that in how Jesus communicates His message, in His rhetoric, in the way that He talks here in Matthew 13. And so, as I've mentioned, Jesus uses parables here. And a lot of times you'll hear people describe parables as sermon illustrations. Okay, So sometimes I'll use an image or I'll use a story to try to sing make something be more clear or be more compelling. And, uh, and, and sometimes people talk about Jesus' parables that way. And the problem with that is that if they are sermon illustrations, they're bad ones. Because Jesus' parables 
usually leave people confused and disturbed. So why does he talk this way? Why does he talk in a way that seems to push people away, not draw people in? Why does he use parables? Well, he tells his disciples uh, that he uses uh, parables uh, because he is, he is using prophetic speech. Okay? This is why he quotes from Isaiah. He quotes from Isaiah 6, as I've mentioned, and uh, in that chapter, we, Isaiah has a vision of God, and he is called as a prophet, and he is sent with a message. And, and he is told that this message won't go very well. Not a lot of people are going to like it, are going to accept it. And so uh, Isaiah is sent with a challenging message. And this is not unique to Isaiah. We see similar messages in Ezekiel, in Jeremiah, and in other prophetic books of the Old Testament. And this seems really pessimistic. This seems uh, really like God is saying, uh, speak in a way that intentionally confuses, that intentionally alienates people. But one thing that we need to remember about prophetic speech, one thing we need to remember about the way prophets talk, is that there is almost always an if attached to what they say. So the prophets go out and they say this really bad thing is going to happen. And then there's an if attached. If... You don't repent and turn to God, right? And so what God is saying to Isaiah and what Jesus is saying about his own message is that these words are going to go out there. And if people continue to reject the message of the kingdom, then yeah, they will continue to be alienated by this message. They will continue to be driven away by this message. But if... They will repent and turn to Jesus. Then they will be brought in. They will be given understanding. So the purpose of the parables is not to clarify. The purpose of the parables is to provoke. Jesus is provoking a response. Think about the flow of the text. To whom does Jesus speak the parable, the initial parable? It's the crowds, right? He's sitting on the boat. There's lots of people listening. To whom does Jesus explain the parable? It's the disciples, right? What's the difference? What is the difference between the crowds and the disciples? Verse 10. The disciples come and ask. The disciples come to Jesus and say, you're talking this way. What, what's going on? What, what are you saying? The disciples had enough humility to admit their ignorance and enough trust to take their ignorance to Jesus. I had a teacher in high school who, if you raised your hand and said, could you stop? I'm confused. He would say, good. Confusion is the beginning of education. That's what Jesus is doing. It it is not confusion for confusion's sake. 
Jesus is speaking these strange stories in order to produce a movement that will either move people towards Him if they are willing to embrace the humility and faith that the disciples show or move them away from Him if they continue in their pride and rejection of Jesus' message. This is an attractional confusion. Jesus is speaking in a way that should produce a movement towards him. And this is the problem with the unproductive soils in the parable. So we have three soils that don't produce. So whether it is uh, just an utter rejection of Jesus's message, the hard soil, uh, if it is because of the problem uh, and pain of loss and suffering, or if it is because of pleasure, and the goodness that comes uh, from the riches of this world. All of those things move people away from Jesus. Why? Because they have found something more attractive and trustworthy than Him. They have found something that owns their heart more than He does. And so Jesus' message does not find root and does not produce the harvest that it should. What keeps us from the Bible and from the fructifying message of Jesus, from the fruit that Jesus' message should produce, is not a lack of knowledge. It's a lack of humility. The reason that we are not transformed by Scripture is not because we don't know enough Scripture. It is because we trust other messengers and messages to bring what we desire. I said this with prayer when we talked about it in Matthew chapter 6. Um, and I'll say it now with Scripture. The reason we aren't changed by Scripture is not because we lack the discipline to read it. It's that we lack the desperation to pursue Jesus in it. And there's a real tendency, um, especially here in a place like Tallahassee, to think that the answer to everything is more Bible study. Right? We need to have another class, uh, another conference, extra Bible study. And, and let understand, that's good. Bible study is really good. Bible knowledge is, is really good. But what we need is not more of the Bible. It's, it's that the Bible needs more of us. It is that we, we approach the center of the Bible, the message of Jesus' kingdom, with the kind of, of hunger that the disciples had when they heard Jesus speak in strange ways. So yes, center point, let's be a community of the Word. Let's be a community that values the Bible. It is our highest authority, is what will change us, will form us into what God wants for us. But here's what that means. Here's what it means to be a community of the Word. It means to be a group of confused people who have enough humility to admit our ignorance 
and enough trust to take that ignorance to Jesus. It is only as we do that that we will see the change happen that Jesus speaks of. And it is only as we do that that we will hear the prominence of Jesus' voice in our noisy lives. Um, My wife, Jessica, is trained as a music educator. And she is trained as a, in a particular method of music education. It was uh, created in the early 20th century in Hungary, of all places. And one of the basic commitments of this method of music education is that you need to hear it before you can sing it or play it or perform it. That you need to learn to listen first, and perform later. That's the method of the parables. They are there to train us to trust Jesus enough that we will be able to hear Him and by hearing Him be transformed so that we can sing of His kingdom in all of our lives. Let's pray. Father, we do want to value the gift of the message that you have given to us. We want to value the way that you've given that message to us, which is in the Bible. We want to value the way that you communicate to us by your Spirit through your Word. But Father, help us to value it not as a as a curiosity, a historical or religious curiosity, but help us to value it as the transforming power of the message of the kingdom that Jesus preached to us. Would you teach us humility and trust, the kind of humility and trust that will produce fruit in our lives? We want to be people who represent your kingdom here in Tallahassee and around the world. Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.